Previously on Searching for Ghosts. According to reports, Casey's mother came home to find the clothes her daughter had worn to a church social earlier in the night laid out on the bed. To me, nailing down the timeline of the night in question is the key to this. If we take into account the way Cindy and Steve have said they found the house that night, that leaves a two, two and a half hour window for this to have happened. But I mean, we know the boy had a yellow truck. Yeah, but we're going on what a psychic says. Somebody drove by there and they noticed a, um, a truck in the driveway and in the carport, somebody was standing under the carport. That one was from a pretty legitimate source, so I believe that that happened. I just wish whoever that person was, they yeah. step up now. I feel like a broken record saying this, but the timeline of the night in question is everything in this case. If we are going to go down rabbit holes with this story, it might as well be a rabbit hole from late Friday, August 16th into early Saturday, the 17th. To me, more insight can be gained from this night than trying to uncover a drug or prostitution ring. And as stated in a previous episode, if you take into account the time Casey was dropped off from the church stands and the time Cindy says she and Steve returned home, this leaves a two-and-a-half-hour window at most for the crime to have happened. But when you look a little closer, this window of opportunity gets even smaller. And the smaller the window, the smaller the pool of perpetrators becomes. To me, this is how you whittle this thing down. I'm Brandon Barnett, and this is Searching for Ghosts. An August 26, 1999 timeline from the Jackson Sun reads, quote, About midnight, Casey McDaniel, 14, is dropped off at her Milan home from a church party. At 2.30 a.m., her mother, Cindy McDaniel, returns home to find her daughter gone. Unquote. The Milan Mirror from the week following Casey's disappearance gets even more specific, stating that Casey arrived home around 12.15 a.m. and Cindy at 2.25 a.m. I was talking to Kathy Joe on the phone the other day. And she reminded me of something she had told me back in the spring when I interviewed her and Dawn. She told me of reports of a guy that had stopped by the house that night looking for Steve and Cindy. He claims, and according to Steve and Cindy, he claims that he had come to the house that night before Cindy and Steve got home. And they wasn't there, so he left. And then he come back after they was home. I didn't realize he came to their house that night. Yeah, Steve and Cindy said he come back. And it was my understanding it was about 2.30 when Cindy and Steve come home. And said he was there around 1.30 or 1. And I've heard similar versions of the story. So I decided to track this guy down. And that's when I made a rookie mistake. I put out an all call looking for him on Facebook. Well, someone tracked him down and confronted him before I had a chance to talk to him. This person told me, quote, I flat asked him if he was there that night, and he said yes, but that it was around 11 p.m., unquote. 
I never thought he was a suspect. I just needed to nail down the time or times that he was there at the house to close our window. I also wanted to see what he was driving back then to compare to the anonymous call about seeing the truck in the driveway, but I'm pretty sure this person spooked him. He was willing to talk to me, but only off the record. I will not use his name. He begged me not to make him look bad. He told me that he has already lost a job because people had pointed the finger at him in the past. He stated that he had always been cooperative and had even spoken to the FBI. I firmly believe that he was so spooked, he told me a different story altogether. He claims that he drove by the house after Casey had disappeared, when people were already looking for her. He now says he was never even there late Friday night, early Saturday morning. He told me that he never even pulled up in the driveway. But he did state that he was driving his mother's brand new metallic silver Ford Ranger that night. It's a truck, but it's nowhere near the description I had been hearing of the truck seen in the driveway. Had I gotten an accurate time frame of when he was at the house, we would have had two people there that night, which would have helped tremendously with narrowing down when this actually happened. But now, this witness is so afraid that he won't even put himself there the night of. So that brings us to the witness who saw the truck at the driveway that night. night, 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 night. Well, we found him too, and he was willing to go on the record, but he didn't want his name used. And according to him, it wasn't a man in the carport at all. It was Casey McDaniel. I, I got off of work at A.O. Smith and all about 10 o'clock that night. Now, Friday night, I believe it was. Now, it's been a long years ago. And I come by the house about 10, 15 that night. When I come by the house at 10, 15 that night, there was this truck that was parked in the driveway. It's what I call a box truck. I thought back then it was about a 1976 model. Now, if I was a Cheyenne, it was goldish color or goldish rustic color on the top, and it was white, and it was goldish rustic color on the bottom. Okay? Dad, I remember that's the truck. There was a girl at that time at the carport. Now, she wasn't in the carport. She was standing at the back of the carport about six to eight feet off in the grass. Now, in pink shorts and a pinkish white T-shirt. Now, had, to me, looked like brown hair at the time. Now, and I'd never seen her before and didn't know her. Uh, and I drove on by, I went to my house now, and I wanted to get a gun and come back. My wife told me no. The next morning I found out through some reports now that a girl by the name of Casey McDaniel had been gone, disappeared, ducked or whatever, on that particular night by somebody. She had disappeared. And then I went straight to the law, and I told them exactly what I just got through saying about the truck and everything. But what about that 10 o'clock time frame? That doesn't jive at all. No one should have been at the house then. It should be noted that before we hit record, this man said that his wife has stated that he has always said that he witnessed this around midnight, not 10. Knowing he was going to be interviewed, he said he thought about it all day long and became convinced that he got off work early that night. But 21 years is a long time to keep memories straight. That's why I like finding initial reports from back then. Recollections are more clear. Remember what Cindy said to the Jackson Sun just one year after Casey's disappearance? Cindy McDaniel in the August 15, 1997 edition of the Jackson Sun, quote, And I told them about an anonymous phone call about a truck seen in the driveway that night around 12.30 a.m. I guess they're investigating this. I don't know. Unquote. And here's something else about his account that might be crucial. All the release statements about what Casey was wearing that night indicated that she was wearing boxer shorts and a t-shirt. Was this because all of her shoes were still at the house? She had changed out of her clothes, and this is what she would have worn to bed? Or did they go through her things and figure out what clothes were missing to determine what she had on? 
because I can't find any description of the color of her clothing ever being released. Did Casey own pink boxers and a pink t-shirt? Was that Casey in the carport? If he didn't get off work early that night, and his wife's accounts are accurate, coupled with Cindy's statements to the Jackson Sun, that narrows down our time frame to 15 to 30 minutes from the time she was dropped off to the time she was allegedly seen in the carport. In my mind, this is bombshell information. This truck was seen shortly after she got home. This person had to know she was there. Somebody knew she would be home then. Hey guys, Brandon here. I need your help. Searching for Ghosts is made on a shoestring budget. It costs money and time to be able to produce this. I don't believe in doing fundraisers like GoFundMe to support this project. I want to provide a good or service before I ask anyone to spend their hard-earned money. A while back, I put out a four-song album on iTunes and Amazon. It's called Left of Nashville. I recorded everything myself and am quite proud of it. It even caught the eye of some publishers in Los Angeles. So I'm asking that if you are enjoying Searching for Ghosts, that you would pick up a copy of the Left of Nashville EP. Again, you can find this on both iTunes and Amazon.com. The cost is under $4. I will have a link to this in the episode show notes. The way to access the show notes is to simply tap the Searching for Ghosts cover art for the episode. You will see the links for Amazon and iTunes. I appreciate your support. By purchasing the Left of Nashville EP, you are directly supporting Searching for Ghosts which will allow it to continue. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Left of Nashville Podcast Network. Mm-hmm.